0: Scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 19. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 19. And the word of God reads as follows. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not with the perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, as Christians, one of the central aspects to being a Christian is to celebrate salvation. We celebrate salvation. This is what we do. This is what we do in the songs we sing. All of our songs in one way or another are pointing to that great salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. And so in that sense, our songs celebrate salvation. This is what we do when we pray. When we pray, we are indeed celebrating the fact that God has redeemed us and opened up to us a way in which we can communicate with this God because he has saved and redeemed us and called him, called us to himself. And so we celebrate that when we pray. We celebrate in our song. We celebrate it when we pray. We celebrate it in the sacraments that we receive, whether it's the Lord's table or baptism this morning. We celebrate salvation. Most of us, most of us can recall this morning our baptism. Now, I understand that some of you might not be able to recall it because you were nothing but little babies when they baptized you, but you take your mama, your daddy, your grandparents' word for it. But you celebrate it, and we celebrate our baptisms because it is a celebration of the salvation that we have in God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate his life that saves. We celebrate his death that saves. Saves. We celebrate His resurrection that saves us. And so whether it is in song or sacrament, it is all a celebration of the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. But more importantly, beloved, than celebrating our salvation with song and prayer and sacrament, the most important way that we celebrate salvation is with our lives the lives that we live nothing nothing says jesus saves louder and better than a christian who lives he who lives his or her life as if they are really saved Nothing. Nothing. And our lives, therefore, should be a a celebration. Our lives should be a declaration. A declaration that we are saved. And that Jesus is the one who has saved us. Remember our theme in this series, right, in 1 Peter, it is The theme of our identity in Christ and our text this morning continues with that theme by reminding us and encouraging us to therefore live out this new identity that we have in Jesus. Notice how our text begins, right? Chapter 1, verse 13 of 1 Peter. It says, therefore. Therefore. Therefore, therefore, like someone once said, you see the therefore in the Bible. You need to ask the question, what is the therefore? Therefore. Well, the therefore points us back, back, as it were, to last week and even further. Last week we were reminded in the verses previous to 13 that we have a great salvation. That we have a salvation that, has been, that was promised by God. That we have a salvation that was prophesied by the prophets. We have a salvation that was procured by Jesus. We have a salvation that is even admired by the angels. And since we have such great salvation, since we have this awesome redemption, the question that needs to follow that is, then how now shall we live? How now shall we live? What difference? What difference does it make that you have been chosen by God for the gift of grace in Jesus Christ? What difference does that make? What difference does it make that you have been born again by the Spirit of God and been given a joy that is inexpressible and an inheritance that is indestructible? And since those are the realities, a joy inexpressible and an inheritance that is indestructible, How now shall you live? Well, Peter says, therefore, since, since you have been born again by the Spirit of God, been chosen by God from all eternity, been given this joy inexpressible, been been guaranteed an inheritance that is indestructible, therefore, This is how you should live your life. These are the things that should mark out your life. And our text this morning teaches us, beloved, two important principles. I'm going to point out broadly, there's much more, but Philip took up all of our time (laughs) in the water. And so we just have two this morning. Two principles that should mark out the Christian life because of this great salvation we have. Number one: Christians should live in hope. And number two, Christians should live in holiness. you see, you understand that? It's what this text is teaching us, teaching us more, but at least these two things. One, Christians should live in hope. And that hope should be producing a holiness. Christians should live in hope, right? Verse 13, again, how does it read? Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope. This week, we watched again in horror as the reports came from a California of another mass shooting. One mother of a victim was on TV and she said, through tears, that she didn't want any more well wishes. She didn't want anyone sending prayers her way. What she wanted was somebody to do something about the gun violence. She wanted somebody to give her answers. Answers. Because that's what people are searching for, beloved, in our times, every day. People are searching for answers. They want want answers to perplexing questions of how does this life make any sense? How do you make sense out of what seems to be senseless? Let me suggest to you this morning humbly as I can, beloved, that I don't know how, I don't know how you make sense of anything apart from Jesus. I don't know how without Christ you make sense of Anything. Because without Jesus Christ, beloved, you're really just hoping that everyone will do the right thing. Without Jesus Christ, you're just hoping that in the end, people will do right and people will do good. Well, you let me know how that works out for you. if the best you could do is put your hope in human nature, then you have a most futile of hope, beloved. True, lasting, enduring hope is not built, beloved, on motivational talks. True, lasting hope is not built on political speeches. True, lasting, enduring hope, beloved, is built upon the unshakable foundation of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is what our text is saying to us. Set your hope. Fully upon the reality of the revelation of Jesus Christ, through whom all this world eventually will make sense. So the Christian adds: The Christian has hope. You know why the Christian has hope? Because the Christian, in their most sober moment understands that they already know the end, and the end is glorious. In our most sober moments, we know, we know the end, and the end is glorious. In the end, Jesus wins. I like to watch, I like to watch replays of Notre Dame football games. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth. I'll tell you, that's my confession. Like, like today or tomorrow, sometime, I am going to watch the replay from the game last night. Now, you know why I watch the replay? It's because when I watch the replay, I can watch with no anxiety. I can watch in calmness. I can watch with joy. Because I know in the end, no matter how much the other team scores, Notre Dame wins. There's no yelling at the TV anymore. There's no frustration. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. Because I know in the end, they win. Beloved, in the end, Jesus wins. In the end, no matter what the enemy has devised for the present moment, no matter what flashes across your news feed, no matter what pops up upon your screen, always remember that in the end, Jesus wins. And if that is our reality, that is our hope, that's how we should live. Biblical hope, beloved, is knowing the end. Knowing that in the end, you will be victorious. You may may get off to a a rough start. It, It may be rough. And then when the second half starts, the other team may go down and score real quickly. But don't stop playing because you know that in the end we win. That's the Christian hope. That's not, beloved, that's not motivational speech. That's the gospel being preached. That's not saying just do your best and see what happens. That's saying, "You do your best and watch what happens." Jesus will win. Jesus will win. And since that's the case, the Bible says here, now prepare your minds. You get ready. You gird, or the old King James would say, "Gird up the loins." Of your mind. Put your big pants on. Put your big pants on and get ready. Get ready. Why? Because living in hope is not a passive existence. You see, for the Christian, this is not K Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. We don't just sit back and do nothing. Because we know God's going to win in the end. No, God wants to get us in the game. And you and I need to be ready. Get ready. Prepare your mind. Why? Because life is filled, beloved, filled with the unexpected. You can be up one day and down the next. You can wake up one morning with good news, and the next morning is all tragedy. You can wake up one morning filled with strength, and the next morning you are in weakness. You could be up on top of the world like a polar cat. Never stressed out, always chest out, shoulders back. Always keep landing on your feet like when you throw a cat. But before you know it, snap, you're flat like a yoga mat. It happens. And the Bible here says, prepare your mind. And you prepare your mind, beloved, by thinking thoughts about God. Right thoughts. Do it now. Before you get in the battle. Think right thoughts about God. Think right thoughts about yourself. Think right thoughts about this world. And you do that by renewing your mind what it says, right, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, right? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? Renewing your mind. How do you renew your mind? You renew your mind according to the Word of God, and you think right thoughts about God, and you think right thoughts about yourself, and you think right thoughts about this world. You know who you are in Christ, And you know that Christ is in control of this world. And so you prepare yourself to get in the game. My daughter plays basketball out at West Georgia. And I'm always telling her, sweetheart, prepare yourself to be put in the game. Don't let... The coach call you to get in the game and you're not ready. Prepare your mind, prepare your body, so when your name is called, you're ready to get in the game. And beloved, you can get called at any moment. Are you prepared if the Lord decides to put you in the game today? It can happen. You can leave here driving home and somebody comes the other way on the wrong side of the road. And suddenly, you're in the game. You're in the game. Are you ready? Where's your hope gonna lie? Will you remember God? You will you remember Christ wins. Are you ready to get in the game? Some of us are not ready. You know why we're not ready? Because we're not doing what it says here in the Bible. Verse 13 says what? Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. The idea here is self-control. It is the idea of not being intoxicated, but keeping your spiritual faculties clear. Keeping them alert. Not giving over to the intoxication of this world. I won't ask for names this morning, but dare I say there's probably been some of us this morning who've been ticketed or maybe even arrested for a DUI or two. You know what DUI is, right? Driving under the influence. Or DWI. Driving while intoxicated. I fear that even more of us are, can be charged with LUI as living under the influence. Or LWI, living while intoxicated. Intoxicated with the things of this world. Under the influence of the desires and the hopes of this world. Living while you are being influenced by the spirits of this age. Influenced by the ways that the world thinks. You're thinking like the world thinks. You have the same desires that the world has, the same hopes that the world has, the same dreams that the world has. You know what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18? Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. But it's, beloved, the idea here is not being drunk with wine, is not simply not being intoxicated with this fermented liquid source. It is not being intoxicated with the seductions of this world. He's not having your dry, your hearts, desires been driven by the latest and greatest that this world has to offer. But rather than being intoxicated or drunk with this world, the Bible says, "Be filled with holy spirit." Don't get drunk on the world. Get drunk on the Holy Spirit. Don't get intoxicated with the world. Get intoxicated with Jesus. This is something that the psalmist learned, right? This is what Asaph said, right? In Psalm 73, verse 3, he says, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. That's what happens. That's what happens. We watch so much television, and we get just bombarded with so many ads. It seems like everybody but us is living the good life now. And we get so intoxicated with it, and we see the prosperity of the wicked, and we become, as Asaph said, envious. Envious. someone said, you need to be careful that you don't envy the mouse for the cheese that's in his trap. You don't envy the mouse for the cheese that's in his trap. For the world sets its hope on temporal things, that which it sees, beloved, is all it can do. That's the best it has. And yet we, are those who set our hope on the unseen, we lean on Jesus. That's what the text says, right? Set your hope fully on the grace that will brought to you, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The key word there, beloved, is the word "fully," completely. Set it there firmly to the end. There is no other place to put it. I'm sorry. There just is no other place to put it. You put it in your children, they're going to disappoint you. You put it in your parents, they're going to let you down. You pull it into your politicians, and before long, you're going to realize how selfish they are. You put it in your pastors, and before long, you're going to realize they're sinners just like you. If I can't put it in the politicians or the pastors, if I can't put it in my children or my parents, then the preacher, where do I put it? The Bible says, hope in God. Hope in God. Hope in God. That's what it says, right? Psalm 42, verse 11. Psalm, it says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in tor- turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. Now, I want to say that to you this morning because I know that some of you might believe, contrary to reality, that Jesus has let you down. And if I had a dime, if I had a dime for every time someone told me that they were angry with God, Now, beloved, I get it. People get upset. And people get upset with God because God doesn't take away all hurt and pain in this life. But I got a news flash for you. The last time I checked, this isn't heaven. This is East Point. There's going to be problems in East Point. God hasn't promised to take all hurt and pain and struggle and strife away from East Point today. Don't get mad at God because God hasn't made East Point heaven yet. He hasn't promised to do that. This is Atlanta, Georgia. And since we live in Atlanta, Georgia, that's why we need to hear the Bible says, Hope in God. Hope in God. you run running around here. Stacey Abrams I ain't bringing you no hope. Hope in God. I, don't, I ain't got nothing against Stacey Abrams. Y'all you, you voted with Stacey Abrams, that's... Do what you want to with your vote. She's not bringing you any hope. You better hope in God this morning. Hope in God. And why you got to hope in God? Because this is in heaven. In heaven, you don't need hope. You need hope now. And Jesus is our hope. And that's why we look to Jesus. That's why we lean on Jesus. And I guarantee you, beloved, contrary to what your emotions might say at any moment, Jesus is not going to let you down. He is not going to let you down. You can lean on him. You can lean on him. As the song says, that soul That on Jesus hath leaned for repose. I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake. I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. It doesn't. That's why you can hope in him. No matter what comes. No matter when he put you in the game. And he's going to put you in the game sooner or later. You hope in God. You hope in the revelation that is Jesus Christ. Christians live in hope. Christians also live in holiness. For the Christian who lives in hope as a consequence lives in holiness. Holiness, therefore, is the fruit of hope. Those who are living in the hope of the revelation of Jesus Christ are living lives that are reflective that the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. How do you know? By the way I live, I'm living trusting him. I'm living for him. But when he comes, I want him to say that there is yet faithfulness in these points. How do you know someone is living in hope, beloved? How do you know that someone is trusting and leaning on Jesus? It is because he or she is living in holiness. See what it says in verse 14 and 16, right? As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, beloved, in our time, holiness has gotten a bad rap. Holiness has gotten a bad rap, and I understand it, because some of us grew up in situations where they gave holiness a bad rap. Most of the time when you hear the word holy, you we generally associate it with some type of killjoy uh, religion or some puritanical fire and brimstone preaching. And, and some of us, when we hear holiness, the first thing we think about is those holiness churches, those sanctified, quote-unquote sanctified churches, those holy rollers, long dresses and long pants. No pants on women, no makeup, no movies, no drinking, etc., etc., etc. I remember as a young boy in high school, there was a family whose father was the pastor of a quote-unquote holiness church. He had, he had quite a few children and about three or four daughters in school with us. they came to school every day in long dresses. Every day. They played no sports. They wore no makeup. And you knew who they were every day. And when we think about holiness, unfortunately, that is the the thing that conjures up in our minds. But beloved, I want to suggest to you that while well, yes, we need to be careful with what we how we dress, so there needs to be some modesty in it, and we need to be careful about where we go and what we do because all those things need to reflect on our being saved and Christians' holiness has more to do with the idea that you and I have been set apart for the service of God, for the plan and purposes of God. It is the recognition, okay, this is it. It is the recognition that God is different from this world, and therefore, whatever God touches becomes different. God is different. And everything that God touches becomes different as well. When Moses came to the burning bush upon the mountain, when Moses was walking up that mountain, he was walking on the ground. That was just ordinary dirt. There was no difference, nothing special about that dirt that Moses was walking on. until God showed up. And when God came, God said in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5, Moses, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now Moses perhaps had been up that mountain a hundred times. And there was nothing different about that ground until God got there. And when God touched it, then it became holy. When God touched it, it became holy. So what does God say? He says to his people, now you be holy because I am holy, and I have touched you. And this is not a new command, beloved. You see that the Bible says it is written, right? It is written. And this is not a new command. God has commanded his people throughout time that they would be a holy people. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 1 through 2, God's people are called to be holy, And as they are called to be holy, so they are on several occasions called God's people a holy people. And what the Bible says about God's people in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, 14 and verse 2, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That which the Bible says about God's people in the Old Testament, the Bible now says about us, God's people, in the New Testament, right? As Peter would go on to say later on in his epistle here in chapter 2 and verse 9, but you, speaking of us, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a what? Holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That which God touches, he makes holy. That which God chooses, he makes holy. And In the Bible, when God calls his people to be holy, and this is another a very important distinction, beloved. When God calls his people to be holy. It has less to do with rules and more to do with relationship. It has less to do with rules and more to do with relationship. Notice how the holiness here is grounded. Where is it grounded? It is grounded in the fact that God is our Father. We have a holy father, right? In verse 14, as obedient children, as obedient children, this is the grounds for which you are to be living out this life of holiness. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former life of ignorance. You have a heavenly father who is holy. Is it too much to ask for his children to be so also? Someone recently said to my son, well, you just like your dad. You're your father's son. And he said, well, of course I am. What else am I supposed to be? it, we are our heavenly father's children. And therefore, it should not be difficult for people to see our father in us. When was the last time someone said, Oh, you just one of those Christians? Well, yes, I am. It shouldn't be difficult, beloved. If he is our Heavenly Father, for people to see our Father reflected in us. Holiness is living in life in which you remember who your Father is. And how much he loves you. He loves you, he loves you. And therefore, God's people are called to be different. We're called to be different. And the Christian life is a different life. So if you're going to be a Christian, I, I dare you! I dare you to be different. I dare you to be different. You know, and and. I was talking to my kids last night we were talking about tattoos and you know when I was young you were different if you got a tattoo now you're different if you don't get one dare to be different don't get one just dare to be different Go out there. You know, it's amazing to me. Now, this is going to get a little sidetracked here. But it's amazing to me when I watch a basketball game, I look for the people who don't have tattoos. I'm wondering, how much prayer pressure does he have? They get a locker room and they say, man, how come you're not tatted up? Dare to be different. Dare to witness for Christ. There to testify with your life that God is different, and so am I. You can be holy, beloved. Did you hear what I said? I know you. I know people, people, people don't think they can, okay, but you can be holy. And you know why you can be holy? Because holiness is is not about what you did. Holiness is about who you are. And most people don't think they can be holy because of the things that they've done in their life. And they say, I can't be holy because of what I've done. I can't be holy because of the mistakes that I've made. I can't be holy because I've cheated. I can't be holy because I've had a child out of wedlock. I can't be holy because I've lied. I can't be holy. Beloved, let me explain something to you, okay? Holiness is not about what you were. Holiness is about who you are in Christ. What you were, we all were. I was talking to a parent last night and they were talking about their kids off at school, off at college, and uh they said to me, they said, Pastor, you know, I, I just try to convince them, you know, don't slip up, don't fall, don't, don't, don't ruin your life, you know. But then they looked at me and they said, But Pastor, you know, I did my dirt. <laughs> I did my dirt. I said, sweetheart, we all did our dirt. Because it's not about who we were. It's about who we are. Who we are in Christ. And this is what Paul says, right? In In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you? Excuse me? You're telling me that in the church of Jesus Christ, we have all these former sinners? We have in the church of Jesus Christ the sexually immoral, the adulterers, the homosexuals, the thieves, the greedy, the drunkards, the revilers, the swindlers. They're all in here. But notice what he says. It's not about what you were. It's about who you are now. And then he says but you have been washed. You have been cleansed. You have been sanctified. In other words, you have been made holy. Justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Beloved, you may have been unholy yesterday, you can be holy today. You may have been unholy last night, but by the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God, you can be holy this morning. for the Lord, no matter what you did last night, the Lord our God will take your sin and throw them into the sea of forgetfulness, and he will remember them no more. And when he sees you, he will see you as if you were as pure as the fallen snow. This morning, right now, you can be holy. Because holiness, not about a relationship that you had It's about a relationship that you have right now. That is a relationship with Jesus Christ that you are a child of God and if you are in Christ then you are a new creation and old things have passed away and behold he is making everything. Everything. Everything new. That's who we are. Because we're holy. The holiness it's not just about who we are. But the text points us to the reality that holiness is also what we shall be. See, right now you don't, you don't, you really don't think you're holy. I, I've been preaching my heart out, trying to convince you you're holy, but you ain't convinced. Because you know your heart. Okay? And you don't look real holy to me either, so don't 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 get it twisted. I get it. Okay, I get it. But holiness, beloved, is not just who we are. Holiness is who we shall be. For we hope in the holiness is the hope of being more and more like Jesus. The reason that you and I are holy, beloved, is because we have been saved from unholiness by a holy one. This is what the Bible is pointing to here. We were redeemed from unholy recreation to a holy relationship, knowing that you were ransomed, verse 18, right? Ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. You were saved from your former ways and those ways you got honestly. Okay, don't get it twisted. You got it honestly. You inherited those ways from your foreparents who were unholy themselves. Okay, we get it. But knowing that you were ransomed from your future ways inherited from your forefathers not with perishable things such as silver and gold but with the precious blood of Christ who the Lamb without blemish or spot. Christ was a spotless, priceless Lamb of God. And He redeemed us. Okay? And in redeeming us, He, therefore, makes us priceless and holy people in the sight of God. This is what we will be. We're gonna be like Jesus. First John chapter 3, verse 3, right? Tells us that we don't know what we'll be like when Christ appears. But when he appears, we will be like him. And therefore, whoever has this hope? What do they do? They live in holiness. They live in purity. They seek to be more and might more like Christ, so that when Christ appears, it will be as smooth a transition into the perfection of Christ as possible. Because this is what we will be. Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-seven. Now remember, you and I have been redeemed by Christ, who is the unblemished, spotless Lamb of God. And then what does the Bible say? That the Lord is coming back for people. And what would those people be like? Well, he says, they will be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. They will be holy and without blemish. Who is holy and without blemish? Jesus, the Lamb of God. Who will we be like? Jesus. How will we be like Jesus? We will be like him in that we will be spotless. We will be without wrinkle. We will be without blemish. If you don't feel holy right now, don't worry. The Lord who redeemed you is going to get you there. You just keep hope alive. You just keep hope alive. He's going to get you there. If you look at me and I don't look holy right now, don't give up on me, beloved. The goal is not what you see today. God is still cooking this roast. It ain't done. But when it gets done, there won't be any wrinkles. There won't be any blemishes. There won't be any spots where I will look like Jesus. The spotless Lamb of God. And so I live in the hope of that revelation. And when he comes, I will be like him. And I will see him as he is. That is our hope, beloved. That's how the Christians live. They live in hope, which produces a holiness. That we seek to live out now, but we rejoice to receive in fullness. as a revelation when Jesus comes. Hope in God this morning. Hope in God.